The Audioverse Awards are supported on Patreon by listeners like you. Help us achieve our physical trophy goals by donating a dollar or ten dollars. Whatever you would like to give helps. Visit us on the web at patreon.com slash audioverseawards. That's patreon.com slash audioverseawards. Thank you. This is Alexander Danner, co-creator with Jeff Van Driesen of Greater Boston, which is about a slightly fantastical version of Boston, Massachusetts. This is episode number 19, Profiles with Chuck Octagon Election Special. Thank you for listening. The following audio drama is rated R for Rockin'. You can be sure that everything you wanted to see when you're a teenager is here. Just tantalizingly out of reach if you're under 17 or 18 years old. Oh, I'm so scared of heights. Um, which is funny though, because I like roller coasters, but when I look down, I start freaking out. Like, you know, like sometimes when like you're on a ladder, you just feel like you don't have so much control because like the ladder could like tip over any moment and then you're like so high up and it's like, I like my feet on the ground pretty much where I can level everything. Previously in Greater Boston. And I can't tell you what the lottery is, um, because it's a surprise for our citizens. She moved shortly after. Her mother needed to find a new home after, after her father left. Very tight and cozy in here, how I like it. How do you convince someone to confess a secret? I've got this loved one who is keeping a whopper. If people knew about it, they'd be like, okay, cool. I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon, Miss Powell. We're going to be neighbors after all. Welcome to Redline, Mrs. Bespin. And good luck to you. You'll need plenty. Redline. Wellesley. Lowell. Redline. What's uh, I'm from Somerville. Peabody. Tooksbury. Roslindale. Andover. Framingham. This is. This is. This is. This is. Greater Boston. This week in Greater Boston, episode 19 Profiles with Chuck Octagon, election special. What's your biggest fear and why? biggest fear the pitch dark and i think that kind of comes from when i was being homeless because you can when it's completely dark you can't see anything coming at you so you never know if something's coming at you and i think that scares me the most i don't like the thought of death and i don't want to really talk about that (laughs) (laughs) i'm a christian uh i believe in eternal life either in heaven or in hell so we're not going to heaven I would say that's my biggest fear. My biggest fear in life is to not be successful. Um, I've always had a goal, whether it's, you know, not that I want to be a crazy millionaire and be, but my goal in life has always been to have a family, to have a nice house, to be able to support, support my family, even if it's just me, just with one income, and just to be successful and be happy. I guess, like, failing in life and, like, to see like how my future would be like I don't want to fail so that's my real big fear like I don't want that to happen to me I always say like I don't have fears and stuff like that but I think my biggest fear has to be like babysitting a toddler because like they're really like it's not a joke they're really like the terrible children like it's I guess World War 3 and being drafted into that because I don't want to be in a position where I have to kill or be killed 
I don't really fear it. I just don't like the idea of it. And whatever came to that position, I don't know what decision I would make. They, they, they do things to you, and it makes you like wonder, like, why are you so evil? Probably being abandoned by my family, because that would suck. And as of now, I'm pretty reliant on them because I'm in college and I don't really have time to get a job besides a part-time job that can barely feed me. So, um. A lot of people are afraid of death or afraid of spiders or afraid of... I'm afraid of the opportunities I miss. I don't want to miss opportunities that could be uh, hurtful towards the future of my life, you know, and career. But people keep saying, oh, you know, you're going you're gonna to have to fail to, like, learn, I guess, your mistakes. But I like, understand, but, like, it's kind of like I, don't want, like, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Good evening, and welcome to Profiles with Chuck Octagon. I'm Chuck Octagon. Tonight, we're profiling all three Redline mayoral candidates. Interim Mayor Charlotte Linzer Coolidge, the Redline bride Emily Bespind, and licensed realtor slash community organizer turned mayoral candidate Isabel Powell. Thank you for... Profile, verb, to describe a person or organization, especially a public figure, in a short article. Or, to represent an outline from one side, as in a photograph or painting. It's wonderful to be... Profiling. Noun. The recording and analysis of a person's psychological and behavioral characteristics so as to assess or predict their capabilities in a certain sphere or to assist in identifying a particular subgroup of people. I'm sure you can all see why this show is called Profiles with Chuck Octagon. We surely can. There are several meanings. You certainly are a big dictionary fan, Chuck. Acting Mayor Lindsay Coolidge, I'd like to begin with you. Oh, wonderful. And I'd like to thank you. But before I do, I have an announcement to make. I'm extremely excited to inform all our loyal 7 News viewers that in just a few short weeks, I will be marrying my beloved partner Andy, live on air, right here in the city of Redline. And I'd like to personally thank Interim Mayor Lindsay Coolidge for uh, being so patient working through the details. Oh. Uh, yes. Uh, Of course, Chuck. Uh, We're going to do everything we can to ensure that you and Andy have the most special day imaginable. Explain to us why you think you have what it takes to run this city. I don't run the city. I never have. I couldn't run this city any more than I could run a marathon. Glad we agree on something, Charlotte. Excuse me. Rude. Now, I have seen this city at her worst. I've seen her people fractured and fighting, the streets and stations littered with filth, fear, and chaos. I've seen redline cars quite literally on fire, stretching into the night, burning into the skyline of our beloved mother city of Boston. We've all seen horrible things on redline thanks to you. That's part of- But look at redline now. Tore its trains, its cars, its stations, its streets, and you tell me what you find. People working together like a well-oiled machine. This city is run by its citizens, from those who open their homes to commuters to the tea operators, who quite literally run the trains flawlessly up and down the tracks. Have we made mistakes? Yes. Have I made mistakes? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. But the most important thing, the most important thing, is to recognize our mistakes so that we can work together to improve them. And we've done that, all of us, together. 
The night before the public forum with Chuck Octagon, Charlotte dreamt of drawing hundreds of sketches, outlines for the future of Redline hanging along one massive wall. It was the long stretch of tile on the outbound side of Park Street Station, where the mayor once held his rally, where Charlotte once saved a man from getting hit by a train. Charlotte made constant additions to the stations and platforms and trains, running up and down the station with a pencil in hand. But then the sketches started looking cruder, less refined, childlike, and she desperately scribbled until her hand cramped. But there was always more to do, more to draw, more to plan, more to create. And that's when all the citizens began to disappear. One by one, they were erased from her sketches, leaving nothing but smudges, halos of faded lead. She redrew them, all of them, as fast as she could, but but they were all vanishing too fast, erased at the speed of thought. Where were they going? Who was erasing them? Why were they being... This is fun, Mama. Monty? Where did all the people go? Do you think they vanished? Do you think think they they went to the same place as all those poor souls of Roanoke Colony? Nobody ever vanishes, do they? No, they simply leave. Yes? Are you okay? It's been a couple minutes, and I wasn't sure if... Uh, Yes, I was just... um, I was reading a... I was sleeping. I'm sorry to wake you. Oh, it's fine. I don't want to be... I don't want to talk to you over this thing. Can you come in here? I have a file on Emily Bespin you requested. Seriously, Charlotte, are you okay? Yeah, I'm just a little... No, no, I'm not okay. Oh my god, you have no idea what a relief it is to say that out loud. I have to go on TV today and pretend like I'm okay, beyond okay... Okay wouldn't be good enough. Everything has to be wonderful. Okay would be a Waterloo-level defeat. When I walk around the city or make announcements, I have to act all 100% super-duper hunky-fucking-dory 24-7. I just... I can't fake it right now. I can't fake it with you. I don't want you to. But I also don't want you to feel like you have to pretend. That's what this is all about, isn't it? It's what I've always wanted. It's what I dreamt about doing as a girl. Pretending. I just always pictured doing it with stories, drawings, writing, art, not politics. There was a time in my life when I did a lot of pretending, too. I pretended to love someone. I pretended to love him so much that I pretended I wanted to marry him, and I did love him, but I didn't love him the way he wanted me to. The way he expected me to. I wasn't interested in anyone like that, and I never have been. Back then, I thought everyone was pretending, and that's just what life was. But eventually, I learned to stop pretending. I had to figure out who I was. Had to... Had to claw my way out from underneath all that make-believe. It was painful, but it was also crucial for my health, for my sanity, and for my happiness. I know it's not that easy for you, because you represent more to people. I don't think that's... Trust me. It's true. People forget that behind your ideas, there's someone real under there. And you're right. 
In a lot of ways, this whole thing is like telling a story. But if it is a story and you're the main character, how do you get readers to like you? How do you get them to connect with you? How do you turn yourself into someone they'll root for? I don't think I can. Here's a secret. They already do. They're rooting for you. They want to like you. Be real with them. Even if they disagree with you, they'll respect that and they'll like you and root for you. I promise. You just can't be afraid to show them who you really are. What if I try and they still don't like me? Then they're assholes. Thank you. We figured it out. Well, Louisa did. I mostly just stood around, watched, and tried not to swear. She figured out who's backing Emily Bespin. She's broke. Or at least she should be. You know the whole Wonderland revamp debacle? That's her and her husband. They're behind it. They own it. Or at least they did. And that's the thing that's been running us ragged. What was the connection between this face of Redline Pack and Bespin? So when I read the background on Bespin, I wanted to see if she still had any stock in Wonderland. She doesn't. She sold it. But big effing deal. It's not that she sold it, it's when she sold it. A day before she dropped the Redline wedding lawsuit. Then you look into who purchased it from her and her husband? It's a money trail. One vaguely named holding company after another. The Anpassant Pack for Prosperity. Which is owned by the future supporters of the 50 Move Rule Consortium. Which is owned by the people for the Pawn Promotion Protection Political Action Committee. Which is owned by the Society of Orange Box Lovers for Tomorrow Conglomerate. Which is owned by the Western Checkmate Action Amassment. Which is owned by the 3SESP Media Publications. Ah! What the hell are you two even talking about? Charlotte. Three S-E-S-P media publications. Three S. Third Sight. The publisher of Third Sight Media is paying for Emily Bisman's entire campaign. You can't know that for sure. Maybe he just wanted a cheap amusement park. You know, fill it with fortune tellers and crystal ball pits. Hey, that's low. And he didn't buy it for cheap, though. Look at this. Holy crapola, where'd you get this? City clerk's office. It's public record. Third size publisher tried to bury it under a precipice of bullshit. But if you're diligent enough, anyone can find it. This is huge, Charlotte. And it's supported by articles published in Third Sight detailing events long before they've actually happened. Like vague references to the lottery. They wouldn't possibly be that brazen. Uh, If not them, then who the hell who? Look, I appreciate that you guys have done all this, believe me. But it doesn't get us anywhere. Technically, none of this is illegal. Ethically questionable to have a publisher linked directly to a candidate over an insanely one-sided business acquisition, but not illegal. Right? Right? Melissa, can you excuse us for a minute? Uh, sure. I'll just... Let's say there was some kind of an incident. Oh, there's a sentence that always leads to nothing but good things. Hear me out. If the Bespins report some kind of crime, we'd need to investigate it, right? And Louisa would need to photograph the scene, right? Oh, I don't know about this, Gemma. Are you listening to yourself right now? Look, all I know is that there are way too many connections going on here. Between Emily Bespin, the lottery, turdsite media, and even Extinction Event getting tuna tubes from a food truck that makes Dick's Last Resort look like L'Espalier. What? The point is, we can't take this lying down. You've worked too hard. I've worked too hard at maintaining some level of integrity. They'll let you throw it away. Oh, but it's fine when you're lying about the lottery. That was a mistake. No. It was the kind of thing you need to do to win, and so is this. Then I don't want to win. Listen to me. I forbid it. Do you hear me? I forbid you doing anything like what you're proposing. I need to hear you say it. 
I'm trying to help you, Char. You can't even take the time to tell me how to do that anymore. Monty needs to eat. That's why I need to own one of my mistakes. Chuck, in a previous interview, I told you that the lottery is going to be a city-run monetary sweepstakes for our citizens, an effort to raise funds for the city and general goodwill of the people. The mysterious posters were our unique way of advertising. And that was a lie. The truth was, I didn't know what the lottery was at the time. I concealed the truth because I was concerned about what it could mean to our citizens. I realized that was wrong. The lottery is clearly nothing but cowards trying to frighten us with their pathetic schoolyard pranks, and I should trust our citizens not to be afraid of such nonsense. Whatever the lottery was trying to do, they failed. We're still the same city, making all of our stops, getting along peacefully, sharing our space with commuters and fellow citizens alike, and we'll continue to prove them wrong, no matter how much molasses or tea they throw at us. Now, I know I made a mistake. Sometimes in this position, you're under pressure to have all the answers. Saying the words, I don't know, when leading a city can sound sacrilegious. It's not that you said you don't know, it's that you actually don't know. But I vow to you all, I will never lie to you again, and I will always do everything I can to ensure Red Lion's success. Thank you for that, Charlotte. That's really quite moving. I'd like to ask you something personal, if I have permission. Is it true that you were abandoned as a child by your father? No, that's not true. Oh, wow. Your father, Dennis Coolidge, did leave your mother and yourself when you were only... My mother didn't abandon me, so I don't consider myself abandoned. What does this have to do with Redline, Chuck? Lots of attitude there, Charlotte. No wonder they left you. (laughs) That's... How embarrassing. Aren't there rules about her interrupting? Forgive me, but you have to admit there's an interesting connection with the mayor and how he left. It's very similar. His name was Paul Chelmsworth. At one point, he was a Harvard professor, so many refer to him as Professor Paul Chelmsworth. But he was most definitely not a mayor. Never in his life, and therefore doesn't deserve the honor of being addressed as one. Not in the slightest. And that's the last I have to say on that matter. Okay. If I may come to Mayor Linda Coolidge's defense, whatever personal feelings I have for her as a candidate, I think we can all agree she's been more of a mayor than that charlatan of a man could dare to be. When she says it's the last word on the subject, well, time to throw in the towel on that particular line of questioning. Very well. Let's move on to you then, Miss Powell. Saving the best for last, Chuck, wise. Uh, Miss Powell, you've referred to Redline as an underground railroad. You are aware that the city emerges above ground south of JFK UMass and stays that way for quite some... Yes, I'm aware. I was using a metaphor, Chuck. As an obvious lover of words and definitions, I'm sure you're familiar. You've been a community organizer for years, Miss Powell, and you've spent much of your time focusing on areas where civil rights, transit, and housing overlap. I'm curious, though... You've been a resident of Boston nearly all your life, but you've never aligned yourself with some of the more vocal and visible civil rights protests in our city's history. That's not true in the slightest. I've written countless letters of support for... Letters, yes, but your presence has been curiously absent when it comes to public appearances in specific neighborhood forums on civil rights, black-led marches through the city, Black Lives Matters protests. How do you explain that? And how many of those marches and protests did you attend, Chuck? I'm not running for mayor. And I'm not saying you're expected to attend any specific events, but given your politics, I find your absence is somewhat curious. 
A curious absence. Let me tell you about a curious absence. There's a curious absence of new jobs in those stations south of JFK. There's a curious absence of economic growth in trains, which originated in Dorchester the day the referendum passed. And there's been an especially curious absence of news coverage about any of these issues. Part of your job is to hold us accountable. I understand that. Admire it, even. But who holds you accountable? The day the referendum passed, you broadcast a where's the mayor puff piece while I was literally pulling people off each other, clawing all chaotic over red line real estate. Now, you want to ask me again about my curious absences at these marches and meetings? You go right ahead. Just be prepared that I may throw the same question right your way, Chuck. And if I recall, some of our peaceful protests have been covered by Seven News in a not-so-peaceful light. A week before the public forum with Chuck Octagon, Isabel Powell was welcoming strangers into her rail home, crowding them around her recliner with cups of freshly stirred iced tea. Some members of the crowd were commuters, but that was just fine. Today's commuter could be tomorrow's resident. And then the Red Line Tea Party happened. Sorry about that, folks. Bit of a confusing mess right now. All these balloons are popping full of some, something like tea leaves, I think. Anyway, we need to slow things down a little bit. Never knew tea could make this much of a mess. Especially dried tea. Don't drink this stuff personally. It's too British for me. Now, this red line runs on Duncan if you catch my drift. City bigwigs tell me we're going to finish rolling into Park Street and evacuate on the shuttles. Looks like good old city of Boston has offered to help us out while we investigate this little tea party of ours. Don't know about you, but someone's going to be in hot water in this tea business. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe not the best time for jokes. City officials will be stationed on the platforms to escort you to the shuttles above ground. Isabel froze. Above? Above ground? No matter. She took a deep breath and led everyone in her rail home to the exits, elevators, and escalators. A leader has to lead, she thought. Sometimes quite literally. She waited until everyone was evacuated. She waited long after that. She waited longer than was necessary. And once she was above ground... Over there, ma'am. Across the common, that's where the shuttles are parked. Isabel clutched her shawl around her neck and pressed down hard until she could feel the fabric pulling between her shoulder blades. She made it one step. Oh... Two steps. I can't. I can't. She could feel the wide open air pressing her down into the common, wind cutting between skyscrapers to slap her in the cheeks and shake her bones bitter. It was all too. too. too open. Can't breathe. Ma'am. Ma'am, you need to move out of the way. Nephew. The city official led Isabel away from the exit, 
where she asked him to wrap her arms around her back tightly. He slowly, gently obliged. Then Isabel slipped him her cell phone and silently, breathlessly asked him to call her nephew, Isaiah, who picked her up in a car shortly after and drove her to his apartment in Dorchester, where he made her a cup of tea. I got herbal elderberry, your favorite. (laughs) Tea. Is the reason I got myself into this fix today. Exploding tea leaves. Now, who the hell pulls a stunt like that? Don't know, Anizzy. College students? You're a college student. Would you ever go and blow up some godforsaken tea balloons on a moving train? You know I wouldn't. Fools. Don't know what they're trying to prove, but... If there's a point to any of it, you're going to have to work extra hard making me see just what the hell it is. Why are you looking at me like that? Don't get offended now. Oh boy, you know nothing good ever followed those words. I'm just wondering if it'd be good to tell people, you know, about your condition. (sighs) My condition. I ever tell you the story about what I saw during the bus rides? You know about the bus rides, right? Please tell me they taught you that. Come on, Aunt Izzy. You know I know about the bus rides. Well, I'm sorry, young people these days. History isn't always their favorite subject, and with good reason. Things are bad enough now. Who wants to hear about when they were worse? Talk to young folks on my rail home. They say, that was before my time. And I turn to them and say, what the hell wasn't? (laughs) Know how they answer that one? Don't know, Aunt Izzy. They're iPhones. Score one for them, I suppose. (laughs) Oh, I suppose so. Your grand folks sent me to school in South Boston because... Well, that's where we lived. Made some friends in kindergarten, and nobody treated me differently. Not the kids, anyway. But over the the summer before first grade, I could see this cold look in the eyes of their parents. Didn't realize what it was at the time, but now I do. To them... I must have been some kind of harbinger. They saw me as something that was coming for them. Coming for their children, their town. Your grandfolks ordered me to stay home on the first day of first grade. You know me, I was crushed. Thought I was being unfairly punished. I had my first day dress all laid out. My pencil box, jumbo box of crayons, colored paper. I had it all ready before June. I was so excited. Staying home, Isabel, they said. Probably not going for quite some time. So, me and your father stayed home. 
he was reading to me when I first heard the screaming. I heard it vividly. He was reading me a wrinkle in time. This this part with this big brain in this room trying to take over everybody's head. Screaming. Angry screaming. Scared screaming echoing from outside. I ran to the front door, flung it open. And I see kids. I see kids like me. Black boys and girls, all of them older, but some not by much. They're running out of the school bus. They're running out of a bus that's getting stones hurled at it. And now, now that they're out of the bus, the stones are getting hurled at them. Cracked windows on the bus. Cut cheeks across their faces. I watched their bodies reacting to getting hit by rocks. And I I ran out of the house. To hell with my condition. I, I had this noble plan. I was, I was going to call out to them kids. Tell them to come cram inside our tiny little sardine can. And when I ran outside. It was like I, I ran right into the, the center of the world's thickest wall. I tried opening my mouth to yell. I tried opening my mouth to breathe. I stood there, frozen, gasping for air, watching those, those adults, adults hunting, hurting children. I watched until I near passed out. Until your father drug me back in the house. More concerned for me than those poor kids. Never heard that story. I've had this condition as long as I can remember. Might have had something to do with our house. How small it was. Our homes haunt us, you know. The big lie about all those horror movies you love so much is that a ghost always haunts the people in the house. In real life, the house does all the haunting. I can still see the fear just radiating off their faces. There was nothing I wanted to do more than call out and lead them all to some kind of cramped safety. I couldn't do that, Isaiah. I failed those kids. Failed plenty just like them. Been failing ever since. I've spent my whole life running out of that door and getting stuck in the thickest mud of all of that fear. Come on now. You've done plenty, Izzy. Plenty more I could have done. Finally got an opportunity to do good work with Redline. And when I open my mouth to speak, it's going to be used to let people in. Just 
like I wanted to do with those kids back in 74. This goddamn condition prevented me from doing that. So this goddamn condition doesn't deserve me to speak his goddamn name. But don't you think if you're open about it, people will respect... Would you get me and ask you for my tea, dear? It's just a little too warm. Yes, Aunt Izzy. And finally, Emily Bespin, we come to you. Before we begin, may I ask you some questions about Wonderland, the amusement park you formerly owned with your husband, Ethan? No, you may not. Okay. Well, respectfully, I plan to ask you anyway. And I respectfully decline to answer. There's been too much talk from candidates already, Mr. Octagon. As your mayor, I don't plan to stand around and talk. I plan to act. When my husband and I were married on the red line, we didn't face a single example of any wrongdoing. Just hundreds of people having a good time celebrating me and my betrothed boo-boo, Ethan Bear. We had loud music, alcohol, dancing, and frivolity, and not one criminal incident. Not even so much as a spray-painting hooligan sullying our beloved occasion with their disgustingly unlawful attempt at quote-unquote public art. In comparison, last Saturday in Redline, dozens of incidents reported, over a hundred in fact, Everything from harassment, public urination, breaking and entering, to an out-and-out terrorist attack perpetrated by the lottery. These are complete exaggerations and fabrications. Charlotte may spin this however she wants. The fact remains, I didn't let any filthy riffraff into our city during my wedding. We kept the doors shut, we kept the doors guarded, and for the 12 hours I was in control of Redline, there was absolutely no crime. The difference between my competitors and myself? Charlotte's already insisted we open our doors to non-citizens. And Ms. Powell? Well, she wants to open our doors even wider. This is our city, and all my opponents can talk about is non-citizen commuters. The nerve of that nonsense. Well, the free ride is over. If these commuters want to ride so desperately, they'll need to visit Ms. Powell's real estate office and purchase themselves a rail home, because when I'm mayor, Redline's doors will be closed. Emily's first week in Redline was... It was... Wonderful. Simply wonderful. Isn't this wonderful, Ethan? It was not wonderful. It reminds me of our wedding. It did. And everything that followed. Oh, Ethan, I'm so glad you're here with me. Ethan wasn't there. Not anymore. We at Greater Boston are very excited to see cast member Jessica Washington live on stage in a production of the one-woman show Who Will Sing for Lena, the story of the only woman in Georgia to be executed by electrocution. You just heard how powerful a performer Jessica is as Isabel Powell, so if you're in the Boston area, we very much hope you'll go see her perform live the last weekend of this month at the Mojizen Center for the Arts in Watertown. You can get more details and purchase tickets at arsenalarts.org. Greater Boston is written and produced by Alexander Danner and Jeff Van Driesen with recording and technical assistance from Mark Harmon. Would you like to listen to new episodes of Greater Boston two days sooner? Patreon contributors of just $2 per episode receive early access to every episode. 
In order of appearance, this episode featured Jeff Van Driesen as Chuck Octagon, Jessica Washington as Isabel Powell, Sam Musher as Emily Bespin, Summer Unsin as Charlotte Linzer Coolidge, Alexander Danner as the narrator, James Capobianco as the mayor of the Red Line, Tanya Milojevic as Melissa Weatherby, Lydia Anderson as Gemma Linzer Coolidge, Julia Propp as Luisa Alvarez, Mario DeRosa Jr. as Isaiah Powell, and Braden Lamb as Leon Stamatis. Also featuring Julian Danner as Young Monty and Ben Flaumenhaft as the Red Line official. Interviews recorded with Greater Boston Residents. Charlie on the MTA is performed by Emily Peterson and Dirk Tiedi. Holloway Joe and Train Jam performed by Adrian Howard, Emily Peterson, and Dirk Tiedi. Dream music by Jeff Van Driesen. Drums by Jim Johansson. Robot beat by Broke Yeti. Some sound effects and music used from public domain and Creative Commons sources. Episode transcripts will be posted online at greaterbostonshow.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at InGreaterBoston. Rollo Colony? Colony. Colony? Nobody ever vanishes, do they? No, they simply leave. Very nice. We're going to do that a couple of times. All of it? Yep. Because it, it, you have to do it, a, we, we do this with all our recording. We do everything three or four times because usually the third time sounds best. Okay.